Asian Hustle Network would like to remind you to make time for your health so you don't lose time for the things you love. An updated COVID vaccine restores protection that has decreased over time, including protection against severe illness, hospitalization, and the worst effects of COVID. If your last COVID vaccine or booster was before September 2022, it's time for an updated vaccine. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Rick Hugh. Rick is the founder and CEO of Midas Wealth. He helps clients with all aspects of their investment and personal financial planning matters while also directing the firm's financial strategies for client portfolios. Prior to founding Midas Wealth, Rick was the managing director of Northwestern Mutual's Chinatown office, which he built at just 25 years old. Under his leadership, the office generated increased growth every year, eventually becoming the number one district office in its category by its fifth year of operation. Rick's initial focus of advocating for financial literacy in his local communities has since broadened to a diverse base of clientele. He is the recipient of many awards and distinctions for his sustained vision, outstanding leadership, and client commitment. He is a frequent speaker both at home and internationally where he teaches clients and other financial professionals about financial planning. In addition, he has been featured in publications such as Forbes, Chime TV, Yahoo Finance, Newsday, World Journal, and U.S. China Press. Aside from work, Rick enjoys spending time with his friends and family, exercising, traveling, and being a huge foodie. He currently resides in the suburbs of New Jersey with his wife, Hannah, son, Midas, and twin daughters, Mila and Sophia. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Maggie. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We're very excited for you to be on the podcast as well and to learn about your story. So, Rick, can you tell us a bit about your background and what your journey was like from the beginning of your career to today? Sure. This is a common question I get asked all the time. So I think the best way for the audience and the listeners to know my background, I would start by sharing with you all how I was raised. So uh, my parents are originally from China. They came to America in the 1970s. And in the 1980s, uh, they had me, their only child and only son. So I was born in the 1980s. Growing up, my parents were extremely hardworking. My father was a chef. My mom was a seamstress at a factory and also a cashier at a supermarket. And because they were so hardworking, I was primarily raised by my grandmother. I remember when I was younger, um, my parents were already off to work before I would wake up. And oftentimes, uh, my, my grandmother would pick me up from school. She would really spend most of her days with me. And by the time my parents came home, I was already off to bed. Growing up, uh, typical Asian family, uh, my parents always emphasized the importance of education. I would go to school seven days a week. Monday through Friday, I would go to regular school. Saturday, I would go to Chinese school. And Sundays, I would go to Kaplan and Princeton Review. So there was a lot of emphasis on education. And my parents wanted me to be three occupations, doctor, lawyer, and engineer. 
Those are the three primary occupation. So for all the listeners, I want everyone to understand this. I failed my parents. Unfortunately, uh, my parents' vision, goals, and dreams for me were not exactly what I wanted to do. But um, I realized early on as a young, uh, young student, my superpower was math, and I loved business. So I decided to pursue finance. And when I graduated from school, I asked many of my upperclassmen uh, in 2007, what type of field in finance should I pursue? And many of them said investment banking. So graduating in 2007, before the Great Recession, I interviewed for many investment banks. Fortunately, before the Great Recession, I had an opportunity to work and receive an offer from an investment bank. But it was my final interview. And I remembered growing up, my parents said, always keep your options open. It was my final interview with a financial planning company, Wealth Management, that I decided to pursue. And during that interview, uh, the managing director said, Rick, uh, what kind of companies are you interviewing for? And I mentioned I'm interviewing for mostly investment banks. He then said, well, financial planning is very similar to investment banking. Are you familiar with the similarities? I said, no. He said, financial planning and investment banking, how they're similar is they both help different types of corporation or people. Investment banking help corporations make lots of money. Financial planning help people make lots of money. Do you have what it takes to help your community? Which one do you believe you're more passionate about? And that really struck me. Um, at the end of the interview, I explained, I said, I want to help people. Uh, he then said, the managing director says, well, that's great. Did you know in America, unfortunately, minorities are underserved when it came to financial literacy? More importantly, Asians are even more underserved. Do you have what it takes to help your community? And I believe I did. And at the end of that interview, I decided to go home to my parents, who are my biggest fans, and also my critics, and share with them the amazing news. I accepted the offer on the spot. And going home, I shared with my parents that I gave uh, up a modest investment banking salary to go into financial planning and do more or less performance space. And to my surprise, my Asian parents, um, I thought they would be thrilled because of my selfless sacrifice to help the Asian community and take them to the next level. My parents were pissed. I remember my father in Chinese in the nicest way of translating it. He said, son, are you a goddamn idiot? Those were almost his exact words. And I said, dad, what do you mean? He said, why would you go into financial planning? Asian people do not believe in financial products. In fact, Asian people only understand cash and real estate. We don't understand stocks, bonds, financial planning, retirement plans, all those areas that you're learning in school. Uh, frankly, you should go back and turn away this offer and go back to investment banking. So I was really, really disappointed in what my parents said because I believe it's the Lack of education is the ignorance that caused the Asian community to be where they are on an education standpoint, finance. But I said to my parents, dad, mom, I appreciate what you're saying, but I believe I'm different. I believe I have what it takes to help our community. But give me one year, one year. If I don't make it, I promise you, I'll pursue any career you want. Uh, so that was my early stages of joining financial planning, financial services, wealth management. Uh, little did I know, then I go into training. And when I was in training, my, my, my pursuit to help the Asian community was quickly reminded that, hey, unfortunately, the Asian community have too low of a tax return. They may or may not be 
the type of community that we can help. So early on, I was taught in finance, like many people that are in the audience or let's say listeners listening, I was taught to cold call by my mentor. So my first six months working my butt off, coming in the earliest, staying the latest, I was cold calling. And after six months, um, I acquired four clients. Now, to let the uh, listeners understand this, in our world, the average advisor acquires four clients a month. It took me six months to acquire four clients. And in six months after starting my career in financial planning, my managing director brought me to his office and put me on probation to be terminated. So six months into my career, I was put on probation and I asked them, I said, well, I've done everything you taught me to be successful. And you know what he shared with me? He says, unfortunately, Rick, not everyone does well or can be a wealth management advisor. So he put me on probation, said 30 days, I can close out the remaining files and possibly pursue something different. I remember going home that evening and sharing the story with my parents as my parents asked me what's wrong. I said, dad, mom, I'm put on probation to be terminated. And I was hoping as the only child, I was waiting for words of encouragement, words of advice to really help me go over, get over this hurdle or obstacle. And they said exactly what I needed to hear. They said, son, you should quit. This career profession is not right for you, is not right for us. In fact, you should have never started. And it was at that moment, I imagined two roads in front of me. One was a road that I can control my own future and my destiny and pursue what I believe was the right career path. Or number two, listen to my parents, follow their dreams, tell me what to do. And for the rest of my life, I might have to ask them for permission. So I said to my father and my mother, I said, dad, mom, I appreciate your words of encouragement and lack of, but I have 30 days and I believe I have what it takes. So what I realized as I was in that moment, there's a saying, there's a saying, everyone dies, but not everyone truly lives. At that moment, I felt uh, that life was soon to be over. It was like fight or flight. And there's another saying that's very popular. Every one of us have two lives. You, you start living your second life as soon as you realize there's only one life. So it was at that moment I failed in this business that I said, hey, I'm going to do everything possible. But I realized my entire life, people told me what I'm good at and not good at. I realized my parents said I should quit. My mentors and my peers thought I wasn't good at this. So those next 30 days, I stopped listening to everyone and I started listening to myself. But more importantly, I started talking to myself. So those 30 days, I realized clients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Instead of emphasizing on financial products and what type of instruments are out there, I started focusing on problem solving. And those next 30 days, which was really important to me, I survived. And I acquired 10 clients. I was taken off for probation. And my managing director says, hey, we'll give you another six months to see how you fare. And then the next six months, I was able to acquire 40 clients. So first six months, acquired four clients, barely survived. The next six months, I acquired 40 clients, taken off of probation, and I went from bottom quartile my first year to top 10 in my peer group. So that was my first year in finance. My second year, because of my learning experience, I became number one amongst my peers. And in my third year, at 25 years old, I became the youngest managing director of a Fortune 500 company. And when they asked me, Rick, 
if you were to build an office to help anyone, where would you like to build it? And I selected Chinatown, Manhattan, New York, the city I grew up in, and my initial goal. So I built an office in Chinatown, Manhattan, New York, and we were a team of five. And then quickly, after five years, we grew our group to over 50, and we became number one in the country. And I always say this, when you believe you're on top of the world and you believe you can achieve anything, then life will remind you how fragile it is. So after five years, becoming number one managing director in country, my sixth year, I married my girlfriend, who is now my wife. And my seventh year, she was pregnant with our first child. And then while she was six months pregnant, um, I had an ulcer and I coughed blood at work. So, so that, that, that story is people don't understand the journey per se, but I want to share this with all your listeners because who I am today is exactly those important moments in my life. My seventh year um, after building my company, I caught blood, had an ulcer. And um, as I shared this health scare with my wife, she said something to me that also changed my career trajectory. She said, honey, are you okay? And I said, I'm not sure. My, my doctor results, uh, medical results will come out next week. She says, well, I've told you to stop working so hard. I'm not sure what your results will be, but let's have a divorce. So I share this with the listeners because when I thought I was on top of the world, the following year, when my wife was six months pregnant, she wanted to have a divorce. Now, oftentimes when I share this story, people ask me why. The answer is simple. As soon as I realized my wife was pregnant, I started having anxiety. I realized that, hey, to be a good father, husband, and male role model, I was taught by my parents, which is what I call the minority curse, is to work hard and provide. So I remember when my wife was pregnant, I would go in the office the earliest, stay later. And oftentimes I didn't see her because I was working so late hours. And I remember like five months into the pregnancy where her feet started getting swollen and it was hard for her to walk. And one day I came home a little early. She said, honey, you know, it's hard for me to walk and I kind of miss you. I haven't seen you for a while. So I said to my wife, I said, I understand. And I said, didn't you grow up with a dog? And she's like, yeah, I bought her a dog. When she said she was lonely because of my personal um, lack of, of my, my efficiency and work hard but not work smart, I decided to buy her a dog to find a solution for her loneliness. And then everything happens for a reason. The following month, I coughed blood and she was going to divorce me. And at that moment, I saw two forks in my road again. One, when she said she wanted to divorce me, I said, what do you mean? I've done everything I promised you. And I thought I should do as a male Asian role model for our family. We lived in the Manhattan high rise. She was able to stay at home. I've done everything. But then she said something to me that was really special. She said, I did not marry you for any of these accolades, financials, or wealth. I married you for you. Instead of telling me, my wife said this, you've done everything for me. Why don't you ask me what is it that I want, which you've never done? All I want is you. So at that moment, I realized that I had an option. One, I could be the man that I was told I should be, managing director, successful career, or I can give up my career and be the man that I always wanted to be. So in my seventh year, I actually retired as a managing director when our office was number one in the country. And through that retirement, 
and most of my retirement package is backloaded. So therefore I lost 70% of my revenue, scared to death and had to start all over again. And it was at that time uh, in 2018, I started Midas Wealth. Midas Wealth is named after our son Midas, which every day I look at the name on the wall, I'm reminded of my why. My son's name, when it gets late outside, instead of looking at my son's name, Midas Wealth, I decide I need to be home with my son, Midas. So in 2018, we started uh, my private wealth group and everything happens for a reason. Uh, within two years, I was able to replenish all the income I've lost by retiring. And then by the third year of starting Midas Wealth in 2021, we were recognized by Forbes magazine as top 100 financial security professional in the country and top 10 in New York. And today in 2023, Midas Wealth, we are a team of 11. So we have CFAs, CFPs, MBAs. We work with high net worth professionals, families, and business owners. And um, we're, we're fortunate to say uh, we're able to accomplish these accolades and my entire journey uh, because of the lessons I've learned. So that's my story, my humbling beginnings. Wow, Rick, that is incredible. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us. I think it's just amazing what you have been able to build. You have said a lot of powerful things and I kind of want to touch back on some of the things that you had said. I mean, there was a lot to unpack there, right? But I think first of all, when you had made that switch from iBanking to financial planning and your parents, you know, saying that it was a bad idea, you know, helping the Asian community, what good is that going to do for you? That reminds me a lot about, you know, my parents and a lot, I feel like a lot of immigrant parents, they typically want to assimilate into America. They want to assimilate into the country. And so to them, it's like, why do you want to attract the Asian community? Like you should be kind of, you know, your audience should be Americans. Your audience should be the rich, right? That's where you're going to make a lot of money. And so when I told my parents, you know, I'm going to be helping the Asian community with Asian Hustle Network, it was something that they didn't really understand as well. So I completely understand where you're coming from. The second point is, you know, you being vulnerable and talking about your failures and how you were put on probation. I think a lot of us see just the success, just, you know, everything that we've been able to accomplish. And we always talk about our accomplishments, but no one talks about being put on probation and just like at the tip of, you know, being fired. And we're just like about to lose everything. Um, and I think it's very commendable for you to be, you know, sharing that story with us. And especially because you know what you're best at. I think a lot of people have this bias where, you know, Rick, you should do this because I think you're good at this. Right. And a lot of the times, Maybe it's our bosses telling us that. Maybe it's our parents telling us that because they want us to go in a certain path. They want us to take a certain route because they think that's what's best for you. But you know what's best for yourself. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. And you know what you should be focusing on. Um, and I think that's just very, very amazing for you to be able to recognize that. And then I think the third thing is that there's just so much maturity in the way that you look at your life experiences. When we're in the heat of the moment and we think, you know, to our wives or our husbands, like, I'm already doing the best that I can for you. Like, what else do you want me to do? Um, but, you know, now you're looking back at it and realizing where you could have filled in the gaps. You buying a dog might have been something that you thought was best for her at the time. But now looking back, it's like, no, like, I could have showed up for my wife, and I could have been a better husband and not put 
work as a number one priority, right? I think for a lot of us in the Asian community and just as entrepreneurs in general and, um, you know, just being a profession in general, professional in general, we want to focus on work so much that we often forget that, you know, the, our loved ones are drifting away or our parents are getting older, right? And there's just so much maturity in the way that you're looking back at your life experiences now and realizing like you could have showed up for your wife in other ways than to buy her a dog. Um, so it's just amazing what you have been able to achieve and congratulations on all of your success. Um, and to my second question, you know, I do want you to speak to any unique challenges or advantages you've experienced in your career uh, because of your Asian American identity and culture. How did that impact your journey and where you are today? So um, I shared this in the past as well. And thank you for sharing with me your feedback and your experience. I think for audience, listeners, we all share a very similar story. I've been doing this for almost 17 years now and just having so many clients, friends that are also of Asian descent, I realized that our stories may not be identical, but similar. So about my background, um, I think being um, an Asian American, uh, and I say this often, my parents unconsciously uh, set me up to fail in finance and Western America. Now, and I say this um, wholeheartedly is because my parents grew up with a high school education from China. They came to America to hopefully uh, find a better world and future for themselves and for their future generation. Uh, they knew whatever they knew, but lack of better words, English was foreign to them and they did not know Western America. So growing up, my parents taught me the ways of the East while living in the ways of the Western world, America. So I failed in finance until I realized I was failing because everyone told me I was failing is because, you know, Eastern Asian philosophy is amazing. It's incredible. And I would never discount that, but it just may not be applicable uh, or relevant in Western America. Just like Western America philosophy may not be applicable in Eastern uh, Asia. An example, growing up, my parents always taught me to be passive and to be quiet, never to speak up. Um, I, I remember, you know, whenever we would go to Chinatown and there were like loud noises or there was a quarrel in the corner or there was any type of drama, my parents would close my eyes as a little boy and just kind of like close my ears and say, hush, just keep walking, keep walking, don't look at it. Right? How many of us that are listening can also uh, find that? And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. That's why, and I, I could spend hours talking about how as Asian Americans, as the Asian race, we need to unite. So that type of scarcity mentality that my parents were teaching me wasn't um, intentional, but was accidental to make me fail in America. So, so they taught me to be passive and quiet and never speak up. They taught me to, to, um, to when I look at someone, to never stare at them in the eyes, right? Look away, especially when you're talking to your elders. And then finally, a very common uh, um, um, philosophy is when you shake someone's hands that's older than you, shake it with two hands and oftentimes bow. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I believe if we were in Asia, those are absolute great uh, elder advice. But think about in Western America, when I am passive and I'm quiet, I don't speak up in Western America, you know what people think? They think Rick has no ideas, he lacks confidence, and he probably doesn't, he's not a thought leader. And then when I don't look at my colleagues or uh, my, my, my peers in the eyes in Western America, it's lack of confidence, and he's probably lying. And then finally, when I shake my like, like 21 year old peers, I'm 21, they're 21, but they're non-Asian, I'm holding their hands with two hands and I'm bowing to them. You know what I'm doing? I'm, I want mutual respect and we all deserve it, but I'm in, indirectly putting them on a pedestal higher than me, allowing them to talk to me in a way where it's not respectful and disrespectful. So it was after six months of failing in corporate America that I said, hey, the ways of the East, it's like a square, uh, uh, square peg. But I, the ways of the West, America is like a circle hole. You can't fit it. And like you can't fit a circle like uh, object into a triangle uh, hole. So therefore, I realized that East and the West was there's so much differences. But I used to think when I was younger and I lack of experience and I was unwise that everyone was wrong. In fact, I realized this now I've been doing this for almost 17 years. Everyone is right, but you need to understand how to problem solve. So it's adaptability. So you should use the Eastern way in Eastern society and scenarios. Use the Western way in Western society and scenarios. So when you try to merge them all, inefficiently it doesn't work. So a great example, what I love about the East, uh, growing up as, a, as an Asian household, I learned the importance of hard work, self-sacrifice, like Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. My parents would feed me before they feed themselves. So those are incredible attributes that I love. Um, now, now, what do I love about the Western culture? Not work hard, but work smart. Invest in other people. Delegate time. You know how many Asian community I work with? And it saddens me. They're 60, 70 years old. They've amassed a fortune of wealth, but they don't spend it. And they have scarcity mentality. And you know what I say to a lot of you know, uh, our clients? I said, well, you have X amount of wealth. If you don't spend it, what is your goal? What is your passion in life? And you know what they say? Rick, you don't understand. You were born in America. In my culture, I want to leave it to my children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And you know what I say? I said, you can still leave it to them, but still enjoy life. Don't have a scarcity mentality. In fact, they're better off knowing that you enjoyed it somewhat. Because if you don't break this minority curse and you don't live a fulfilling life, chances are your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren won't live a fulfilling life. As Bruce Lee would say, don't give our generations, our future generations, the things we never had. Instead, teach them the things we were never taught, right? So instead of giving them all these assets or whatever wealth we wish we can give, teach them. Spend time with them. So in Western culture, I learned working not hard, but working smart, delegating, understanding my hourly rate, and most importantly, speak with confidence, right? And, and, and just be in society. It doesn't matter how old we are, whether you're, you're an older generation or you're a younger generation, we just have mutual respect. We're all human beings. We learn from each other. So what I realized was, which allowed me to be successful in my career and have somewhat of a, of a successful track record is taking the ways of the East, taking the ways of the West, instead of dividing them, bringing them together, merging it, creating this new society of learning. Um, and that's what I've uh, learned in my background. <laughs>
Yeah, that is amazing. And I, I think you're really on point. And I love that you don't have to kind of separate them, but you're merging them together. And that's also how we're able to share our cultures with the Western society, right? And I completely agree with you. I think, um, you know, a lot of us as Asians, we're seen as docile, weak, we don't like to speak up, we keep, we keep our heads down, we work hard. And that was one of the biggest issues that I had to go through in my work experience, too, because I'm like a petite Asian um, woman. And, you know, for a lot of people who I work with, they might see me as someone who's very quiet, um, similar with a lot of people in the Asian community. And that might work to our disadvantage, right? But I think a lot of us, we we do want to speak up. We just don't know how to, right? And I think that um, with the stereotypes, it makes it a lot harder for us, for us as well. And the point of like working hard versus working smart, that is so on point. Because when I go back to Asia, it's not that they don't work hard. Like they work very hard, but they're very traditional in a sense, right? They like to keep the traditions. They like to keep the you know rituals that their 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 parents or their grandparents or their great grandparents had held and so they like to keep the same routine they like to keep the same traditions and they might not want to innovate because they want to keep those traditions right but in america it's all about challenging the status quo like how can we innovate how can we make this better and how do we kind of just like remove everything that we learned in the past and just like create a whole new routine whole new structure so that we can be more efficient so, I mean, it's not it's it's not like one is bad and one is good. I think we just need to find a balance between the both, right? And for us to be able to share our culture with the Western society is how we're able to educate and help others acknowledge like where we're coming from and why these stereotypes even exist and why these happen, right? Um, so thank you so much for bringing that up. I think it's really just insightful for you to to mention that. Um, okay. And so- <laughs> so yeah, it's like oh, yeah, go how we how we can continue to advance as humanity. Right? right. So it's like just adding more arrows to your quiver and having those tools in your tool belt so that no matter what scenario, we can always problem solve and, uh, and, and better ourselves. Absolutely. So, Rick, how did you develop your personal brand and differentiate yourself from your peers to become the youngest managing director at North, Northwestern Mutual and be recognized by organizations like Forbes? So uh, when I first started developing my brand and trying to distinguish who I am, I want all the listeners to know I did not have a brand. In fact, um, for me to get to the managing director title by 25 years old, there was a lot of hard work, self-sacrifice, and a good amount of luck. And I'll, I'll share with you my humbling story. I remember at 25 years old, I went to a managing directors conference. It was someone with warm where people played golf. And in that um, conference event, many of my peers, um, not many of you, not sure how many listeners understand this or know, in financial planning, the average age of financial advisors, wealth management advisors are over 50 years old. In fact, the majority profile is 50 plus white male Caucasian. Now, going to a conference with managing directors in a leadership role, those, those uh, peers were just as old, if possibly even older. And I remember when I first met some of my peers, um, they would say, oh, you're the new managing director? How old are you anyway? And I would tell them my age. And they're like, wow, you're younger than my son, younger than my daughter. And immediately, I felt uncomfortable. But that's okay. That's okay, because I believe that I deserve and I belong. 
And then I remember someone whispering uh, during one of the breakout sessions, like, oh, I heard that's the new managing director in New York City. And they may have said, maybe they're just checking off a box to meet their diversity and inclusion uh, focus. Now, when I heard that, yeah, did it hurt my feeling? For sure, right? But you know what? I believed in myself. So initially, and I want all the listeners to know this, when I was trying to create my brand, I realized initially I, I didn't have a brand. In fact, I thought success was like be the people that were successful. So I had imposter syndrome. I remember just looking at all my peers that were successful in their respective ways. And I just started taking massive notes, like being a student of the craft. And I said, I wish one day I can be as successful as them and fit in and belong. And earlier in my career, I struggled. I struggled uh, badly in a point where like, I wasn't succeeding as a managing director in the beginning because in my humble uh, opinion, I was playing a game that was not right for me. I was trying to be someone else, someone different, someone that I thought was how society view is successful. And I couldn't because we are all our unique self. So after going through similarly uh, failures and, and moments of aha and, and uh, learning experience, I realized, you know, there's nothing better to be than to be my truest unapologetic self. So after my first year of learning everything as a managing director, I realized, you know what, instead of doing things other people's way, I would try to determine what is my superpower. So it was after that, where I was, as a managing director, I wanted to be like my peers and was failing. I realized, what are my strengths? My strengths are, although I'm younger than people, I had more energy. I would come in the office earlier, stay later. And that's probably like why I cough blood, but that's another side of the story. But I came in early and stayed later. I had attraction power. So although my peers were um, probably um, baby boomers, I'm a millennial. I can attract the millennial population. I'm going to build a team of millennials because I believe millennials and younger need financial literacy. I also believe that we all care in our own respective ways. But if, if the baby boomer generation look at the millennials as a younger generation that may or may not need their help, oh, I'm going to help them all because I do not discriminate. So I started you know, helping baby uh, millennials, recruiting millennials. And I started incorporating a culture that I found like Lunar New Year, I brought everyone on my team to my home and I did potluck, right? They were like, what is potluck? Uh, they weren't even sure, they, like, like my peers. I was like, we're going to cook a dish and we're gonna, I'm going to give a cash prize to the best cooked dish. And I remember um, we started doing like team events and I, I met the, the, the spouses of my teammates and it, it became incredibly fun, incredibly fun. And, um, you know, after five years, I quickly realized something. I, I realized that time flies, but when you're having fun and you're passionate and you, you, you focus on your purpose and your why, good things happen. So after five years, instead of me being the managing director, I wanna be like everyone else, I became a thought leader in our company, in our industry, and I was on stage leading the country and everyone wanted to learn from me. So for all the listeners, uh, whoever is listening, wherever you are, uh, whatever adversity you've been through or whatever self-defeated thinking you have, you deserve success. You deserve everything you want in life. And, you know, life is, is, is a journey. 
life is a journey. And I always tell people this, success, the opposite of success is not failure. In fact, the opposite of success is not starting or giving up. The ingredient to success is failure. Failure is a checkpoint to get to success. And when we start embracing and understanding our failure moments, which are our learning moments, we will win. So whether it's your wins or your losses, love them equally, cherish them all. And uh, because of my experience, I became that brand. I built that brand. So in, in a Fortune 500 company, I built a team where culture, fun, family, energy was there. So then, so it came to a point where we were a team of five, we grew to a team of 50. And when I go to these conferences and it's like an Asian uh, group of 50 people, yeah, people were whispering. They probably called us like the triads or whatever, I'm kidding. But you know what they said? They're like, that's a force to reckon with. That's the future. And that's why, you know, I had so much fun and those were the best moments of my career. Wow, Rick, I that is amazing. Um, I just want to say, you know, congratulations on everything that you've been able to build and differentiate yourself from the others, right? And I think you mentioned about, you know, how do you follow in a lot of like successful people's footsteps? I think a lot of us read a lot of autobiographies of successful people who, you know, have made it in life and we want to learn, you know, how were they able to do it? Like, what were the steps that they took? And we fall so in in love with, you know, the way that they were able to build their successful companies that we want to, you know, make sure that we follow to the T, like how they're able to do it, right? But normally, you know, that doesn't really work out. We have to figure out what works best for us. I think it's okay for us to try to adopt their mindset and adopt their mentality. But the way that you're able to, you know, get to where you want to get to is like, how do you make sure that you're unique in your own way? How do you make sure that you can make it your own path? Because not everyone is going to have the same path as you. Um, and I think we that's why we a lot of us have that scarcity mindset is that, you know, we're scared that other people might take our ideas. We're scared that, you know, maybe they're going to steal my like grand idea of like how I'm going to become successful, what product I'm going to put out. But no one can do it like how you do it. And the key to that is to put your own personality, put your own like kind of like spice to it. Um, and I love how you're able to differentiate yourself with the potlucks. Like I think at the, probably at that time, like no other person was like inviting others to their house and having potlucks at their house because they want, probably didn't want any like coworkers or people that they work with in their own home, right? And you were able yep. to open up your home and invite others into your home, have a potluck. And your focus group was millennials, right? And I think that's so amazing because millennials like at that age, you're really able to, you know, open up their minds and have them, you know, have this like very open mindset on community and, you know, working together and like educating them. And at that age, it's like, that's their prime years of like getting their business started, getting their, their like success, you know, like, like, you know making sure that they know like the importance of failure and that is the ingredient to their success. Right. So it's just really amazing what you've been able to, um, do to differentiate yourself from the crowd and really hone in on your brand. Um, like I mentioned with a lot of entrepreneurs, like you have your own story, like no one can take your story away from you. Right. And so don't try to like follow in a lot of other people's footsteps because you really have to put your own personality into it. And that's why with AHN, we tell a lot of people to 
put their face in front of their brand, put their face in front of their product, because that's how you're able to, you know, make sure that you're unique from the crowd and no one can take your story away from you. And when people learn about your product, they might not know like if it's a good product, if it's a, if it's a bad product, but when they know your story, and I, I love how you're so open with sharing your story, they fall in love with you and they want to work with you, support you, learn from you, right? And I think that's what a lot of, that's what happened when you were able to invite all these millennials inside your home. So really amazing sure. what you've been able to do. Thank you. And yeah. and for all the, the listeners, right? In life, we can be average, above average or below average. Now, if you think about that, everyone wants to be above average, but if you do the same thing as everyone else, you're just average. We as um, um, Asian Hustle Network, we all have a unique story. If we know and understand this story and we are proud, unapologetic, and be who we want to be and live within and, and, and hone into our stick deep and find our superpower, we will all be above average because no one can share this similar story. So it's a gift. I used to grow up and I remember in kindergarten, um, uh, my, my mom would give me like a cha shell bao at, at lunch. And I would, uh, and I was, I was a kindergarten shy, introverted little boy. I would hide under my, um, my teacher's desk and eat it while in tears with my Vita soy soy milk, right? Because all the cool kids were having like lunchable. But guess what? Today, everyone wants cha shell bao. Everyone wants shaolong bao. Everyone wants to go to hot pots and they want to embrace the Asian uh, culture, right? But the problem is we were just way ahead of the curve 30, 40 years ago when I was growing up. So I promise everyone that's listening, oh, embrace this amazing identity we have. Look at America today. How cool is it? Just coming back from Asian Hustle Network Ellipse, uh, Uplifted Conference, we're, we're, we're thought leaders um, in, in music, right? We're thought leaders in, in, in Oscars, just looking at just the society, we're a movement. We're a movement. And this is exactly why I love what you guys are doing, Maggie, you and Brian, because I have three kids. I'm still married happily. All right. My, my, I was able to figure it out and not, not be subject to that minority curse because I work with thousands of families and some of the most successful people that I've seen, they achieve their version of success and they look to left, they look to right. All they found was loneliness because they lost their family. They lost their friends. They lost their ways. But what's really special about our Asian community today is we can do this incredible movement for the future generation. When my three kids grow up, I want them to go on television, to listen to music, to look at sports, to, to, to look at their politicians and say, daddy, mommy, they look like me. They talk like me. They think like me. They were raised like me. And they're going to represent me. And that's what I want. So um, right now, our generation, I'm a millennial. It may not be easy. My parents' generation was not easy. Every generation is going to say that they had it hard and difficult. And you know what? They're right. We should embrace everyone's personal stories. But we need to band and unite. And that's how we're going to change the world together. Yes, absolutely. And I love that you're setting up yourself as a role model for your kids, you know, and when they see that their parents are doing all of these things to uplift the community and really setting that example, it makes them feel like it's it's possible. And, you know, to, to for us to see people who sound like us, who look like us on screen, that gives us the the indication that it is possible for us to have our voices heard. Right. And I, I just love that you're setting that that foundation for your kids as well. Thank you. So as a managing director early in your career, Rick, 
managing $1 billion plus in assets. How did you build your confidence over time to eventually start your own private wealth management firm? Great. So for starters, I had no self-confidence. I want everyone to know like my humbling beginnings because it's very easy to look at the results today, but not see the 10,000 hours that were put in during the dark. So as I shared earlier, excuse me, I'm an only child introvert. I joke around that growing up, I probably had more imaginary friends than real friends. Um, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Um, but there were a lot of life lessons that I learned that helped me shape me who I am. But I remember uh, one of the things when I was entering the world of finance, you need to have confidence. You need to uh, be a thought leader. You need to be able to speak a certain way and help people. So um, when I was a managing director, especially when I had to uh, be as good as my peers and probably elevate myself, I fell in love with being uncomfortable. Here's an example. I remember back then, uh, our office was in Chinatown, uh, Manhattan, New York, but I lived about 30 minutes away from Chinatown, Manhattan, New York. One of my weaknesses was um, I'm an introvert. I don't really know how to spark up a conversation growing up because I was just reading a lot of textbooks uh, and that's, that's all I did. So I came up with a game with myself. I started psyching myself out. And I tell people this because most often time, uh, the reason why we're unable to have confidence is because we have self-defeated thinking. Did you know, I believe it was the National Institute of Science said that the average person has seven negative thoughts a minute, hundreds an hour, thousands a day. Whether we believe it or not, most people unfortunately wake up and start their day already with negative thoughts. The only way to overcome this part of ourselves is instead of listening to ourselves, start talking to ourselves. So there are rituals I started practicing. As we all are supposed to, every morning, every night, brush our teeth. So I have an electric toothbrush that turns on and off after two minutes. So I would actually brush my teeth, if you ask my wife, for four minutes. The first two minutes, I would actually start brushing my teeth and I would say positive thoughts to myself. Like, today is going to be an incredible day. Today, I'm going to spend a lot of time with my kids. We're going to have an incredible day. And everything that I want in life, I'm grateful. Be grateful, right? And the second time, two minutes, I actually manifest my day. I manifest my day. So I always start the morning around 5 a.m. and I look at my daily calendar and I'm already seeing my meetings and I already can imagine what my day will look like. Um, just like I can imagine there's going to be traffic, but that's okay that there's traffic because I already manifested that the traffic, so therefore the traffic won't bother me. So it's those things that I practice as a ritual that has shaped my mental mindset to who I am today. But I remember around 25, I would take the train and I said, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself because if I said, Maggie, um, I dare you to do something, the chances are you're more likely to do it than you saying, all right, I think I should do it. So I said to myself, I said, you know what? In order for me to build a skill set of being sociable, the next 30 days, I need to enter a train and I need to approach a complete stranger, spark a conversation and exchange contact info. And if I don't do it, uh, within my 30-minute train ride, I cannot get off the train until I do it. So I remember in the beginning, when I first started my first day, I think it took me like 10 minutes to even approach someone. Of course, I missed my 30-minute train ride, and I was on the train for like over an hour because I missed my stop. Then I had to go to the other turnstile and come back to my stop. So it was very inefficient, 
and I was quite frankly late often in the beginning. But after a few days, after a week, I started getting used to it. I started creating some skills, some habits, personal observation, right? So therefore, then I started approaching strangers and I would get that spark of conversation, exchange number within 30 days. After 30 days, I became a different person. I was so comfortable approaching strangers. And I want to share the story with all of you because in life, we can choose to live the life we believe we deserve and want, or we can let life take control of us and always live in a scarcity mindset and say, what if? How come not me? So I shared a story because of these skill sets that I've developed and this confidence level of approaching strangers. I'm not uncomfortable going to a stranger at all today. And how I met my wife about 10 years ago, um, she, would, she would probably laugh, is I met her at a party. I saw her across the room. The old Rick would have been too timid, scared, and awkward to approach her. In fact, I was the guy in college that had a beer and held it till it was warm because I couldn't dance. I, I, I didn't know how to talk to people and I was kind of awkward, but I saw my wife across the room. And then when I saw her, it was almost like in the movies, it was like a glowing light. I knew I needed to approach her. So I did, I went up to her and I, and I stuck out my hand. I said, simply, hi, my name is Rick. What's your name, All right? Take, you will miss 100% of shots you don't take. Now, there were three things that were running through my mind. I manifested going up to her before I actually went up to her. Number one, she'll probably reject me and she'll probably splash her drink on me. That's possibly one. Number two, I did not know this, which was absolutely true. It was finals week for her and she was actually with her sweet mates and there were three other guys. So it was three guys and three girls. They were finals week, they were celebrating. And I think the guy that was supposedly kind of talking to her the whole night was kind of mad at me, but I didn't care. Right. At the end of the day, he didn't stop me, but he could have, we could have caused trouble. Or number three, she said her name is Hannah. And she took and she shook my hand. And today, 10 years later, I'm married with three kids, and we've been married for almost seven years. I changed my life, right? Because if I never built these skills within me, my life will be completely different today. So I shared this story with the viewers because. Fall in love with being uncomfortable. If you want to build whatever confidence out there, right? It's not about stepping out of your comfort zone. There's a saying, you step out of your comfort zone um, and then you step back in your comfort zone. Eventually, it's not a part of you. But instead, expand your comfort zone. Expand your comfort zone so much where you fall in love with being uncomfortable. There's very few things today that I feel uncomfortable with. Like, I don't like doing cardio, but I bike. If any of you that have Peloton, find me. It's Q behind me. I biked every single day for the last three years since COVID because I said, you know what? I hate biking. COVID is out there. My gym is closed. I bought a Peloton bike. I biked every single day almost for the last three years. I haven't stopped once. So now today I can't stop biking, right? I hate doing cardio. I started running a 5K for X amount of time back then when, when the gym was still open. So once you start falling in love with being uncomfortable, I promise you there's nothing in life that can make you uncomfortable and you could achieve anything. Wow, that is very powerful. And I I absolutely agree with you. You know, I think that you mentioning how, you know, you were scared to approach people before you did that challenge, right? Um, this goes for, the, for anything, you know, public speaking, you know, uh, approaching anyone, approaching strangers, doing something that you're not comfortable with. I think the hardest part is just getting ourselves to do it. But when we actually do it, obviously, 
practice leads to progress, right? You don't have to be perfect at it, but you do get better at it. And I remember you you putting out a Instagram reel a couple of weeks ago about public speaking. And this, I think this goes for a lot of people who are, who have stage fright, who have fear of public speaking. The more and more you do it, the more comfortable you get to doing it. And you, you know, focus a lot on the message that you want to give out instead of like, oh my gosh, like how many people are in the crowd, right? I'm so scared to be up on stage. Like, what if I embarrass myself? But you just get more comfortable with doing it. And very rarely do you look back at that experience and be like, I regret doing that, right? Because you just become better and better at doing it. And the more that you do, you just become more comfortable with doing it. And I love that you shared that. I love congratulations on having that experience with your wife and ultimately leading to you marrying her, meeting her. Um, I think that's just a wonderful story. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. So thank you. absolutely agree. Um, you know, I think the, the the hardest part is just getting ourselves to do it. But we have to, we just have to get out of our comfort zone. We just have to do something that we're we're afraid of doing, but do it anyway. Um, you know, whether that is like meet you know twenty people at a networking event or give out your business card to to ten people, right? Whatever it is, you know, you just have to set that quota for yourself, set that, set that goal and meet it. Um, because at the end of the day, you won't regret it. You'll be like, oh, I'm so glad that I did that because you never know what's going to transpire out of you doing it. And the more that we do something that we don't feel comfortable with doing, um, that gets us to the next stage. Like that gives us a lot of growth in our personal lives. Um, so yeah, it's just amazing how you're able to meet your wife in that way. And, you know, Thank the you. growth that you were able to have with your confidence. Thank you. And I think the top three fears are fear of failure, mm -hmm. fear of success and fear of being judged. Now, if we can eliminate those fears, there's nothing we can't do that we set our mind to. Absolutely. So Rick, what is your best piece of advice you received early in your career and some of the best lessons you personally learned throughout your journey? So um, I would say, especially in finance, uh, clients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, I believe in life, there's always going to be someone out there smarter than you. Now, if you don't understand this, then uh, you need to go find humility, right? Um, and, and start understanding that we can learn from everyone. We can learn from the CEO. We can learn from the manager. We can learn from the janitor. Every one of us have a unique story. So being at AHN's Uplifted Conference, I was so inspired. You know, people liked what we said on stage, but I truly, genuinely appreciated meeting new people and hearing about their story. What brought them to Vegas and why are they here? And every one of us can learn from each other. So number one, clients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, number, number two uh, advice I would share with people is, uh, is, is never give up, never give up. Uh, I, I say this because what if we were supposed to live a life that we currently live. Uh, there's a quote that I recently read, like um, God, I believe I might butcher this quote, God will destroy our plans when they realize that our plans were going to destroy us. Never give up. I think we are exactly where we're supposed to be and constantly be a student and learn.
and uh, a final quote is, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the student is really ready, the teacher will disappear. Teacher will disappear. The reason why people often ask, like, why did I leave the managing director role at uh, when we were number one in the country? Because my advisors, my students were ready. They didn't need me anymore. They can easily find another managing director and all the people that were part of my team. They're incredible men and women that I will still be a part of their lives and they'll still be a part of mine. But my wife and my kids, I believe I will be the best father and husband to them. So therefore, I would never want to make that sacrifice. And, um, and one thing I would share with all of the listeners is really special. You know, we can learn from anyone. And one of the best moments I've experienced today, now that I'm a father of three, my son is almost six years old, my twin daughter is almost four, is learning from my children, learning from my children. I say this because, you know, as children, we grow up with the best creativity, with imagination, with play and having fun, where we can be whatever we want to be. But unfortunately, life and society has it where as we get older and older, we're told by external factors and saying, be realistic. That's not possible. Stop dreaming so big. You might fall on your face. Stop. And, and uh, I, I talk to my kids today as if they're adults. Like I ask my kids, there are days where our, my kids pick their dates. My kids pick their dinner and their meal plan. Um, and, and, and I just have fun. Like I can learn from my kids. Like I ask my son uh, when he grows up what he wants to be. He said he wants to be a dinosaur. So good luck to doing that. But uh, instead of, and this is something, especially since this is the Asian Hustle Network, instead of being like our parents' generation, and telling us to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, respectfully, I think we've already saturated that market, right? Like, I think we have a good hold on that population and occupation. But teach our children and our future generation to be happy, to be kind, and be a contributor to society. Now, if there's one thing I challenge everyone that's listening to do, and now there's one occupation that I truly mean it, is if you want to tell your children to be one occupation, Tell them to be politician, politician, right? <clears throat> You've heard this song, money, power, respect. I believe that the Asian community, we have either abundance mentality or we can have scarcity mentality. Unfortunately, you said earlier, Maggie, once we get to a certain place and point in life, we started shedding our natural roots and say, oh, that was me back then. But you know, what? I'm good. I'm good. So I don't want to be back associated with that. No, 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 no. We have the money and we want the respect, but what we don't have is the power. So I remember during Stop Asian Hate Movement in 2020, 2021, oh boy, was I angry. We were recognized as Forbes top 100 in the country, top 10 in New York state. And that was like one of my career aspirations. My wife asked me, honey, congratulations. What are you thinking and feeling? I couldn't sleep and I was disgusted. And I told my wife, you know, Although I've achieved certain milestones in my career, my community is being attacked. My parents live in New York City and I worry about them. Now, there's so many people around the country that we need to help. So uh, during that year, I wrote on a bucket list. I did my own bucket list. Number one, uh, I said, I'm gonna write a book. 
and to share my humbling beginnings, but I'm not going to share with everyone my success. I'm going to share with people more my failures to inspire and motivate them that if Rick, you can do it, so can you. But number two, I believe it's very important for us to empower ourselves with financial literacy. All these attacks are happening in areas and communities where it's extremely blue collar work, like a restaurant owner, a salon owner. Yes, I have family members that are restaurant owners. Yes, I have family members that are salon owners. But instead of working seven days a week, what if we taught them financial literacy where they're financially free, where they don't have to work seven days, they, they can work Monday through Friday and maybe take vacation, right? What if we were able to help empower them, not work hard, but work smart, but spend more time with their spouses and their children, right? Where life is enough, stop chasing what they think they need to chase. Then we can prevent some of these mishaps. What if we spread love? So. I don't know if the advice I'm sharing with the audience matters, but I say this, I'm 38 years old, right? I don't know who's listening, but let's say the next 30 years, like instead of my, my, my first 30 years, my parents told me to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, let's unite as an Asian community. Let's the next 30 years start telling all our, our, our children and grandchildren, be happy, be kind, be a contributor to society. But if you're gonna be something, let's be politicians. All three of my kids recently said they want to be president of the United States. And that's incredible, right? I never thought of being president of the United States. I thought I had a better chance at five foot six being an NBA basketball player, right? Not no chance. My jump shot is weak and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm kind of slow because I'm old. But let's be president of the United States and rewrite the rules of America. And I truly believe, yes, Asians represent 7% of America's population, but in the future, we will represent 93% of the future we all deserve. And I do truly believe that we deserve um, this and we, we should all aspire to do it. Love it. I love it so much. And I think we are trending into kind of like a generation where we're telling our kids because we all of our a lot of our parents had told us, you know, we have to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer you know, we're recognizing that we have other passions and we want to pursue what we're passionate about and realizing that we don't want our kids to have that same experience where we have to tell them, you know, you have to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and it's more important for our kids to be happy, right? So I love that you're kind of instilling that mindset into your children and just, you know, just making them realize that happiness is the most important thing, you know, and um, as long as they feel passionate and happy with what they do in their life, that is, that's the most important thing. So thank you for sharing that. Agree. And for all the parents that are listening, that are trying to control their children's lives, like my parents try to control mine. Fundamentally, and I promise you this, being a wealth advisor for almost 17 years, working with 1,000 families, odds are we as parents have a higher chance of building financial freedom and success and then leaving it to our children than controlling our children's lives and making them miserable and then demanding that they become financially successful. Instead, if we can teach our, our children to have uh, to be an independent, free spirit thinker, to live a life of happiness, kindness. But we build these chips, this war chest for them, right? Then we can all continue to create impact, generational impact. Absolutely. So, Rick, we have one final question for you, and that is, if you can offer an advice for folks who are interested in pursuing a career in finance or starting their own company. What would that one advice be? Great. So back to the um, original thought, 
If you're going to start your own company, number one, dream big. Dream bigger than everyone else. Be a dreamer. Be a dreamer. And uh, never give up. And make sure that uh, when you become a CEO of a company, especially in the early phases, you're the CEO. You're the receptionist. You're the janitor. Be willing to do everything and anything to see your business succeed. Because to be a true fearless leader, you lead not from the back, you lead from the front. Because imagine I started my company and I was the last one to come in and the first one to leave. My team would not even respect what we're doing. So, and, and then once you find your passion, you, you built your why and you understand what is it you want to do, go all in. Go all in. Now, oftentimes, I do believe that people, when they start their company, they don't have the support, the knowledge, the network. It might be a little premature, but constantly build your community. Build your community of people that can you can surround yourself with, that can help you, because what chances are, whatever you're looking to build business-wise, there's someone that has done it before you and have the humility to ask for help. Asian people, unfortunately, don't have the humility to ask for help. They decide to believe that, hey, I'll figure out myself to ask for help. And if I can also leave a, um, a last advice for the viewers is one of the most common question I get, especially in my profession is, Rick, how do I achieve financial freedom? <clears throat> financial freedom. Now, the word financial freedom, the most powerful part of those two words is the word freedom. Every one of us can either have scarcity mindset or abundance mindset. Unfortunately, at least from my personal humble experience, Asian community have more scarcity than abundance. That's a fact, unfortunately. So number one, we need to change our mindset. 80% of achieving, from my experience, our, our goals is through proper mindset. So things I would encourage for the, uh, the listeners to do. Number one is, although we're done with school, does not mean we're done learning. The average, the average person reads one book a month. The average CEO reads 50 books a year. Start reading, reading. Because chances are, whatever you pick up and read, you're going to have life lessons that will help you uh, excel. Number two, really important. If you want a condition to be a CEO and really do well in whatever field you want to pursue, you have to understand you must have the stamina and condition. So our body is our temple. You have to eat better food. You have to exercise. That was one thing that I wish my parents taught me as a young age. My parents told me to read more books. I've never, I never exercised. But now that I married my wife, Whoever you marry will change your life. My, my wife's family grew up as athletes. And today <clears throat> I work out every single day because I can't help but try to be like them because they're all working out. So, and I don't eat processed food. Growing up being Asian, I love ramen. I love soda. I love all the junk food you can imagine. But if you actually read the ingredients on the back label and you can't pronounce it, throw that away. Your body is, this is the only body we have. Do not eat processed food, eat whole foods right? Invest in your body, invest in your health, right? And uh, so th those are things that are really, really important. And just like mental mindset, like positive thinking. But so that's one. Number two, when you, when you want to achieve financial freedom, and I wanted to say this in Vegas, but I didn't have a chance to, you have to understand your position. There's a difference between being chip leader and being short stack. Let me explain. I ask people, if you want to achieve financial freedom, I can help you get there. But what is your number? What is your retirement number? And chances are nine out of 10 people don't know the retirement number, which is crazy. How can you hit a target when you don't know what it looks like? So number one, for all your listeners, find out what number you need on an after month, after tax monthly basis. So for simple math, if you need 10,000 a month after taxes, 
to maintain the retirement lifestyle you want, multiply that number by 300. So 10,000 a month by 300 is 3 million. That is your number. 3 million, if you Google the rule, uh, the 4% income rule, all, take the 3 million, historically the last 100 years, if your investment account or your, your dollar amount can earn somewhere, uh, do a, a hybrid mix of stocks and bonds, you could generate 4% interest. So 3 million at 4% is 120 grand a year. 120 grand a year divided by 12 is 10 grand a month. So you just reverse engineer. So number one, find out your target retirement. So for all the people that are listening, if your retirement number is 3 million and you have 5 million, as an example, you're chip leader. What can you do with that 2 million? Take more risk. Take more risk, right? Because if you're chip leader and you're playing, let's say a game of poker, as an example, and I don't gamble, I only invest. But if I'm chip leader on the table, guess what? I would maybe bluff. I would uh, chase my cars to the river. I would play the game differently. But now let's say if your number is 3 million and we have to understand these philosophies. By the age of 30 years old, if you don't have one time your salary in retirement, by the age of 35, you don't have one and a half time. And by the age of 40, you don't have two times your salary in retirement. You're probably not on track to retire. So if you're short stack, you know what you need to do? You need to take less risk. You need to understand in the game, you need to watch each hand, watch each card and play each hand uh, wisely. And you can't take certain risks. So financial freedom, number one, change your mental mindset. Number two, know your target and then understand your position in the game. Are you chip leader or you're short stack? And finally, number three, which is the most important. This is probably hands down one of the most important quote I've learned in my 37 years of, of being on this earth. A jack of all trade is a master of none. Now, for all the listeners, who, how many of us have heard this quote? A jack of all trade is a master of none. I've heard of it, but that's only half the quote. Google it. A jack of all trade is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. By Robert E. Green, 1592, as he was describing William Shakespeare. So I want to tell all the listeners, in the 1980s when I was growing up, there was a lack of information. There was no internet. Today is the complete opposite. There's the internet. There's too much information. We can't decipher what's crap information and what's good information. Just like the quote, a jack of all trade is a master of none. Almost my entire life, I was misled because I only received half the quote. And I thought to specialize in one thing. But the full quote, a jack of all trade is a master of none, oftentimes better than a master of one, simply means you should try to learn everything and not be a one-trick pony. So Asian Hustle Network, you know what? If your superpower is real estate, then and you love Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, then guess what? Pick up Ray Dalio's principle and learn stocks. If you love stocks, pick up a real estate book, pick up a business book. Because at the end of the day, I truly believe in order to achieve financial freedom, you need to diversify your knowledge. You need to diversify your wealth and you need to diversify your business. Because if history repeats itself, and oftentimes it has, not one single asset class, not one single investment, not one single strategy has survived the time, the test of time. But instead of having a three-legged stool, start mastering your superpower, then learn from all the other industries, and then with your three-legged stool, add five extra legs where it does not matter what happens, your freedom is secure because you have all aspects of your life uh, built through all areas of specialty. So that's my final advice for all the listeners. Amazing. I did not know that there was a second part of that quote. So 
that's amazing to you know have you share that and I completely agree with you I think that you know we focus so much on you know we have to perfect this one thing that we're good at but um, it's better to have all encompassing and you know be be able to you know learn and you know educate ourselves on multiple things rather than just one thing because if that one thing fails you know we won't be able to depend ourselves on any other thing right and so better for us to really learn more about um you know become become yes become a master at you know one thing but then also learn and educate yourself on other things that are encompassing that so thank you for sharing that my pleasure so Rick, it was amazing having you on our podcast today. I loved having you share your story with us. Where can our listeners find out more about you online? Sure. So um, just recently uh, started our social media platform. Um, not really good at this, which is why I acknowledge and I publicly share it, but I have an incredible team. Um, 95% of the things you see on social media is because of my think tank, the talented men and women that I have on my team, and I'm blessed to be able to share my workplace with them. So we started our Instagram about six months ago called, uh, I think the handle is called I am Rick Q. Uh, we started TikTok, same handle, I am Rick Q. Um, and those are probably the best places for your audience and listeners to follow us. Um, the messages I share are less finance related because at the end of the day, um, I truly believe we all have our own superpower. I could teach you, everyone that's listening, how to achieve financial freedom, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, enhancing your business, or anything and everything we want. But most of the content I share is more mental mindset, motivational, inspire, and uplift our community. Because I truly believe if together we can uplift each other and we can share great thoughts and support one another. One plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals 11. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Rick. And I have to, you know, give you props for all of the content that you've been sharing on your social media lately. Like you're doing an incredible job and, you know, it, I, you know, because you started six months ago, it's, it's amazing because like you've been able to like edit and I'm not sure if you have a team, but really recommend everyone to follow Rick on social media. His content is just amazing, really, really good in uplifting the community, um, educating the community and just really just, you know, letting us know that we have the ability to do what we want to do in life. Um, so I am Rick Hugh. We will leave all of that in the show notes of this episode. Rick, it was incredible having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Maggie, for having me and wish you and all your listeners, all the absolute very best. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.